Please listen with care. This episode talks about suicide. If you or someone you know needs support, please contact 1-833-456-4566 or text wellness to 686668 for youth or 741741 for adults. This is Beyond the You, a Met Radio 1280 AM production. I'm Summon. I'm Sahana. This show looks at real stories from university campuses and the students behind student journalism. The University of Toronto is one of the most prestigious and largest by enrollment schools in Canada. With approximately 95,000 students spread across three campuses, the absence of even one person can be felt. In 2019, three suicides took place at U of T's downtown St. George campus. All three in the same building, the Bayhan Center for Information Technology. A shadow of grief spread through the campus. Students demanded change and rallied together for mental health care. Aloysius Wong was one of those students. He wrote about the student body's resilience for The Otter, a Toronto Metropolitan University publication, in February 2023. Now, as a UFT alumni and Toronto-based journalist, he joins us. So just for to give some context, could you explain the incidents, I guess, you talk about are in UFT? So it was mainly that period between uh, around 2018, uh, 2019, um, a little bit going to 2020 as well, but mainly that, that period of time between when I was in second and third year. There were a number of suicides uh, on campus. In the same building, there, were, there was one in June 2018, one in March 2019, uh, and one in September 2019, um, and Carrie also in, in January. And just having those four suicides, sort of one after another, and seeing a, a lack of institutional response until the very last one, all the major media were coming in. It's like there's this pattern. It's uh, three of them have been in the same building. What's going on? Uh, it was only really then that they, you know, took a bit more action and put up a physical barrier and said they were investing more into mental health supports and things like that. So my motivation for writing the story was sort of twofold. One was to see, looking back now, how all of that was still affecting people, especially at the emotional level. There was a lot written about sort of the policies and the impacts that was we're having on different categories of students. Like there was a policy at UFT that I think is still in place called the mandated leave of absence policy, um, which basically means that if your university deems you a risk to yourself or others in the community, they could force you to take a leave of absence. In in some senses, like if someone is being a dangerous member of, of the community to their program and to everyone else, like fine. If someone has mental health, it further stigmatizes the problem. And it was something actually that the Ontario Human Rights Commission wrote a letter about and things like that. And even then, they still move forward with the policy. So it's also seeing like how much of that has actually changed um, in the time since and how much of that, the impact, sort of the long, long-term impact is that of, of that as well. Is you chose to kind of begin the story with Carrie Davis. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Carrie? I went to U of T for my undergrad between 2017 and 2021. Uh, when I was in second year, I was in a program called Peace, Conflict, and Justice Studies. Uh, and Carrie was a classmate of mine. She was someone who was very bright, very smart, very kind, really intelligent, a very generous person. That she was someone who was going to go really far. She was the one always asking questions in class, always sitting at the front, you know, that kind of person. And sort of all of a sudden, you know, things sort of took a really tragic twist when Carrie died by suicide um, later that academic year in January. Um, and it was just something that really affected the community. And so I guess what I'm trying to accomplish with the piece was to really ground that in not just my personal experience, but like that pain that we all experienced together and the impact that that has um, for 
when there are multiple of these reverberating in the community, you know, year after year, month after month. Uh, could you speak a little bit about like what the differences in the supports for like international students versus like commuters or? Right. Well, I think it's different for every individual. I mean, like people are coming into programs and into you know, university and college life with, you know, different lived experiences and things like that. But I think broadly speaking, first of all, the cost of going to school, like if you're an international student and you're paying fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year to go to university, some people are from very wealthy backgrounds. Good for them. You know, they have families to go back to and things like that. Maybe they have extended family here too. For a lot of people, you're coming to university for the first time, you're 18, 19, 20 years old, it's your first time away from home. You're paying all this money. There's a lot of pressure on you. Yes, there are some supports on campus. Um, those international students don't have OHIP, right? Like there is a university health program that you can access as well. But again, like those can only go so far. When you have the financial pressures, the family pressures, the academic pressures, right? All of that sort of just compiles together. Um, and that's just for international students. I mean, you look at people becoming with disabilities and, you know, all the paperwork they have to get through just to get accommodations. Uh, you look at, um, you know, for uh, you look at commuters, right? Like people who are commuting long distances, they have less time to study. They, um, pe people from lower income backgrounds uh, have to work uh, longer hours, take on multiple part-time jobs, you know, paying off student loans, like all of this uh, comes in, into play. And I mean, and I think the last part I'll, I'll add here very briefly is U of T, at least at the time, I think this is changing somewhat, but when I was there, there was, sort of, there was especially in some programs, a culture of, Oppression Olympics when it comes when it comes to the academics, right? Like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm so stressed. I have like three midterms this week, and so I was like, oh, what do you mean? I have five and three papers. Like, it can't be that bad. Whereas, like, really, we should all just, you know, I think there was a, a big push as, as a lot of this was coming out between students to be like, that kind of language isn't okay. We should be a like validating each other, and also b like when that kind of stuff happens, right? There's students and things. We should be sort of pushing university to sort of have more humane <laughs> conditions as well when it comes to how we study and, and, and things like that as well, because all of that does have an impact on mental health. As you wrote this piece, mm -hmm. you interjected yourself, you had your voice in it, yeah. and you wrote it in first person. So I'm curious what the process of that journalistic decision was. Yeah, I guess to speak a little bit in terms of how that developed. Um, so the piece first started out as uh, an assignment actually for our narrative feature journalism uh, class at the master's level in the School of Journalism uh, here at TMU. So it was a mix of both our, my professor sort of encouraging that and sort of saying like, well, there's been a lot of reporting from the outside, but you have a certain perspective and that's valuable in this case and sort of promoting that. But also, I mean, as the piece sort of developed, most of the people I spoke to were uh, acquaintances, but like a lot, a lot of people that I knew, like I was very involved in the advocacy at the time. I on a bunch of different, um, you know, committees and uh, student advocacy groups and things like that. So to fully remove myself also felt a bit dishonest. Um, so there was that aspect of it about to be like, hey, I was actually really involved at the time. This is my perspective. I'm clearly coming from a certain angle and trying to explore it from that way too. So I think it was a mix of like having people supporting me as I was writing it and sort of encouraging to make it stand out a bit uh, more and to showcase what it was like living at that time and reflecting on that time now. I'm, I'm hoping it comes off as a more honest piece in that, in that, that way as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like what your advocacy work at the time looked like? Sure. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a mix of things. The evening of September 27th, the, the last one of that year at least, happened. I was working at the Isabel Bader Theater on campus. I worked front of house. News comes in. I know a lot of the staff. We're all students. People are concerned. We don't know how, who it is yet. 
after work, it's already 11 midnight, but a bunch of students have already gathered um, over at Sydney Smith Hall, where a lot of the arts and science students are. Um, so that's sort of just how it started. It was very sort of just loose collective of people just organizing rallies, got a name called the UFT Mental Health Policy Council. But essentially, so there are a bunch of different collectives and groups that sprung up as a response to this. So I was involved a lot first with sort of organizing those actions in front of the governing council's office and sort of trying to get explicit recognition that this is an issue of third year and into fourth year as the pandemic hit as well. But I was also involved with a group called How Many Lives, a program around normalizing failure, um, especially on campus. A lot of UFC students are very successful, at least they present that way, but there's a lot of times we don't talk as much about that either students or professors a lot have actually had setbacks, like whether that's personal or professional. So it's normalizing that. And then the other group I was involved with was a group called You of Thrive, essentially like trying to get students not just to survive in their time through campus, but to thrive. What was that experience like, like revisiting? Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked. Um, it was tough at first, I think, especially writing that opening scene when I was trying to remember what that memorial was like. I sort of knew editorially, like as a writer, I should or wanted to go back um, in some capacity to sort of try to feel and relive those emotions again in some way. So uh, it was difficult. I, I pulled back some old messages and, you know, things I'd written at the time. Journal, journal entries, whether my computer or um, in writing, things like that. So it was mixed up just that and sort of like being like, wow, that was... <laughs> and it's all starts flowing back um, all of a sudden, sometimes slowly and all of a sudden. Like grief evolves, right? You When you're there in the moment, like you don't know that it's going to change and it feels like you're just in that sinkhole of pain and loss forever but eventually and you sometimes you don't you don't even notice it as it's happening bit by bit but you know you you stop thinking about it every day you start thinking about it you know every other day and then once a week and eventually it's sort of just part of you like it's it'll come back here and there as like sort of a pang of loss or that but but it won't really hold you back anymore you know that's still something you, you'll hold dear as sort of um, moving forward from there too. So that's, yeah, it's interesting sort of seeing what, what you learn when you when you go back as well. So I'm, I'm grateful that I did. I know as a, when I was reading it, I didn't go to UFT, but I, I did find it very relatable to what was happening 2019, 2020 through yeah. a lot of universities. For sure. um, so you captured, your writing captured a lot of uh, grieving somebody that you didn't necessarily know. So how did that grief process affect students, faculty, and yourself as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie, you know, Carrie uh, was someone who people did know and that the students got to know even after the fact because of um, how open the families and things like that. Um, in most of the other cases, especially the three that happened in the Bayhan Center, a lot of those students, you know, the, their identities were kept private. Probably, and I think in most cases, it is because of the families preferred uh, that it was but when you're in a building first of all like if you're physically there in the building as, as some of my friends were you know you're studying computer science or engineering it's a hub for people 24 7 ibrahim who's interviewed in the feast and a lot of other friends i know as well like when you're physically in the building and you hear like the impact of someone fall and and then you later learn that they died and it was because um you know they it, and it was a suicide like that has a really big impact on on people right whether whether you're from that program whether you're not just knowing that this was someone you probably passed by the halls and they went to the same classes as you they were they might have sat in the chair you were sitting in and then and then suddenly they're not there and you 
point is, it's like has one one fewer student. It's one seat empty. If they were on residence, there's one there's one empty room all of a sudden, and those rooms stay empty till the end of the year. And people are reminded of that, right? You put all that together, right? Like even if you don't know someone, and if you keep hearing these reports over and over again, especially if it's in the same building within months of each other, it dampened the mood significantly on campus for months. You know, it's just like everyone was sort of just bracing for the next one, like as as terrible as that sounds. Thankfully, this hasn't been the last one that's been reported since. But like in 2020, in the middle of COVID, right after the ones in 2019 that I discussed, there was another student um, at the Chestnut residence, a bit, uh, you know, on, on Dundas, a bit further from campus. A, a first year student there also died by suicide. Every single time something like this happens, you're sort of just everyone is tense for weeks and for for most students, you hear about it, whether it's your professors or your classmates. And if you keep hearing about it as often as it was happening at the time, it feels like it could have happened to anyone. It feels like it could have it could have happened. It could have been your friend. Uh, you know, it, it could have been your your lab partner. Uh, it could have been someone you know you were you were writing an essay with. And to to just suddenly not have that and to feel like it, it, at a certain point, I think something that was going through my mind in those months after was just like how long until i you know end up in a place like that in my head and you know i feel like i can't get out like i was so scared at a certain point like that not only lose another friend but like cold shit it's like it's right there like they're in the same situation these people are just as smart and talented um as you are yeah i think that's sort of the impact of that too and i mean and that's why i think there's there's such i guess hesitancy to report on it and to talk about it, I guess, in this stuff. I mean, the university doesn't want, obviously it's bad press. About it. And again, like it's one of those things too, like in some cases, when you don't know someone, it's harder to grieve because you don't have memories to go back to, right? And you feel like you've lost something, but you don't even know what you lost because you didn't know them, right? So it's like, that's, it's a really complicated feeling and emotion to go through because it's not your standard kind of grief either, either, so. All I wanted to say was thank you for writing the piece. I really enjoyed reading it. For sure, yeah, and thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I guess there's one last thing I want to say is like, appreciate the opportunity, but also like if any students are listening to this and or any people from administration and things like that, it's like, keep talking about this, right? Like some, mental health is one of those things that it can fester if it's not something that's in the forefront. So, you know, for yourself, take care of yourself, take care of your friends. Thanks for listening. You can read Aloysius Wong's story on theotter.ca. To connect with us or suggest a story, you can find us on Instagram at Beyond the U Podcast. This episode of Beyond the U is hosted, edited, and produced by Prarthana Patak, Samandara, and Sahana Ranganathan.